Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I am your host, Marita Spada. I speak with top creatives and entrepreneurs as we discuss life, business, creativity, and the sweet balance between it all and mental health. My guest today is Adam Burrow. He's the CEO of Sweetcentric. He's a creative and well-rounded technical leader with a unique blend of engineering, functional and architectural perspectives and expertise. He's also the CEO of IEQ Media LLC, a podcast production company. He's also the host of the Change Podcast, amplifying the voice of servant leaders working to normalize the mental health conversation and build more empathy into business. And now, let's kick off the show. Hi, Adam. How are you? Thank you for joining the podcast today. Yeah, I'm, thank you, Marita. I'm happy to be here. Um, it's a beautiful day outside and just getting ready to go into the weekend here just before Thanksgiving. So uh, it's, you know, it's fun. Things are kind of starting to slow down a little bit before the holidays. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, same here. Same here. It's just like wrapping up some things before the end of the year, kind of like relaxing and then planning for the year ahead. You know, on on another level, though, I kind of don't want to relax right now. Like I just released um, a big software project I've been working on for the past several months. I just released it earlier this week. So I'm like raring to go to just get in there with the marketing and, you know, work on, you know, bugs that I'm finding, just, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, you know, I, I liken it. I don't know if you're a sports enthusiast, but, you know, like I'm a 49ers fan and Thanks. we steamrolled the LA Rams and then went into a bye week. It's like, I feel like that right now. Like I'm, <laughs> I've got some good momentum, you know, behind me. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess, I guess I'll hang out with my family and my kids. <laughs> well, you still have some time though. Cause you know, it, it's Thursday next week. And then you still have more time up until the next holiday. So at least we're not crunch time at this point. Right. That is true. That is true for sure. Well, I wanted to kind of start the interview for myself, but for the audience as well, just learning a little bit more about like your origin story. How did you end up in entrepreneurship? Kind of like the bumpy ride to it. Any any stories or anything that you want to share on that note? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like, obviously, you know, you got to start a story from the beginning, mm -hmm. but there's so many places we can go there. So, um, you know, I know that kind of the direction of, of this episode is to talk about um, mindfulness and my role as a leader, emotional yep. courage and that sort of thing. So I guess it makes sense to kind of talk about how those became in, important topics in my life. And unfortunately it's not a, it's not a happy story. It's, it's, you know, there's a lot of kind of trauma and really dark kind of bad, you know, times that, uh, that, that ultimately led to a, a, a huge revelation that I had, um, which would have been, I guess, April of 2021. So about a year and a half ago. Um, but ultimately, um, today I'm the CEO of a company called Sweetcentric. We are a NetSuite solution provider, um, as well as CEO of a uh, media company called EIQ Media Group, LLC. And then the company that I just launched is called PodTask, which I'll be keen to, to get your insight on as a podcaster, because it's a productivity and efficiency application um, for built for podcasters to manage their teams, their workflow, their episode production and all that. But, you know, so, so I'm kind of like a serial entrepreneur. I just don't know where to stop. I mean, even this morning, I met with a friend who is wanting to get into software development, doing a career change. And, 
I started to get so excited about this project that he was working on that I'm like, dude, I'm going to like sit with you. Let's get together like a, once a week for the next eight weeks. I'm going to help you put this thing together and already kind of envisioning like, oh man, this would be a fantastic product one day. So I don't know how to stop. Um, and so now kind of my origin story, I, I, I do think um, that a lot of my drive comes from a number of different things. First of all, I really love being an entrepreneur. I love the problem solving. I love the building. I love working with teams of people, you know, that are all excited about a vision and working towards that. So, you know, that's the, that's the super positive side about being an entrepreneur. What, you know, the dark side, I think that led into it is, I mean, I'll start with, you know, this revelation that I had that I mentioned, what, it, what that was about, what that uncovered for me is, when I was six years old, um, my parents were recently divorced and my mom would have this babysitter, teenage boy come over. And I don't know how many times he babysat me, but um, what ended up happening was when he started to come over, he would lock me in my mom's walk-in closet, shut the lights off, barricade the door for hours, and then invite his friends over and party and do all sorts of drugs and stuff like that. And, you know, as a six-year-old to be locked into a dark pitch black room with no ability to get out of it led to, you know, what I'll talk about in a little bit here, which is a lot of, um, claustrophobia, anxiety, panic attacks that really start, didn't, didn't reveal or become present in my life until just a couple of years ago. And, you know, out of that experience, well, it, it got a little worse. I, I didn't even mention that, um, there was a time where I was barricaded in the closet and then let out and molested. So um, that experience, I never realized how much it actually shaped the rest of my life. So I'm almost 50 years old and, um, you know, kind of the story is, you know, how this unfolded with this revelation for me is maybe a couple of months prior to the pandemic, um, I started just getting these weird anxiety attacks and, and cluster, like they were like claustrophobic anxiety attacks. And I had never, I had had only one panic attack my entire life. And that was, I had to fly home from New York back to Santa Barbara where I was living literally right after nine 11, like the day they resumed flights. Oh, wow. I was in New York for about two and a half weeks on a job. Um, sorry, I think I'd screwed up the timeline. I went to New York the day after they resumed the flights after 9-11 and was there for two and a half weeks, which was, you know, the trauma in the city, it was inescapable. Everybody absorbed that trauma like a sponge. And so it was a really somber time. And I remember then, you know, getting on the plane to fly back to Santa Barbara, I was in the window seat and I always liked the window seat. And then this lady and her mom, elderly mom came and sat in the middle of the aisle and the elderly mom had like a broken leg. She was in a full leg cast. And I just got this feeling like, oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to move out of the seat for like six hours. And what if I have to go to the bathroom? And I, and I legitimately had a panic attack. Anyway, that obviously I can attribute to 9-11, but you know, so here I am just before the pandemic, all these, you know, started to happen. A lot of it had to do with just the stress of running my company. Um, you know, it's really you know, as a startup, but especially in the IT consulting space, it's, there's so much pressure. 
Um, I had a lot of employees that were, you know, not cheap, um, their salaries and stuff like that. So I think a lot of the pressure and just, you know, you can't escape your trauma. I think that was just because of how much I was driving myself. Like this trauma started to, these anxiety attacks started to reveal themselves. Got way worse in the pandemic uh, for obvious reasons. We all had a, a shared traumatic experience. Um, but like it got to the point where it was debilitating, debilitating. It was happening every day. I couldn't go to sleep. Um, I was working 70 to 80 hours a week on this project, sleeping about three or four hours a night, if that. And that was all that was broken up sleep too. And uh, so then I, you know, where this revelation occurred is I, I knew I had to do something about my mental health. Like I didn't know what to do for so long. Um, and it required me to, I had to set that up for my mental health. Like I had to hire a bunch of really expensive developers so I can get out of this project that I was right working on. I mean, I'm also the CEO of the company. So I'm in this project, I'm the lead developer, lead project manager. I'm the CEO running payroll and managing our benefits and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, finally realized I needed to do something. I fortunately, and thank God I found my coach and good friend, Kristen Taylor, who I hired as my executive coach. And she's the one just in my second session with her, she posed a question to me. I was talking to her about my divorce that I had from my ex-wife and my two older kids, how, you know, I just felt so much guilt still from the impact that I can tell that divorce had on them. And and Kristen asked a really good question, which was, well, do you feel shame or do you feel guilt with that? And I, I asked her, I'm like, I don't know the difference. Like, you know, that's a really good question. Yeah. I'm like, you know, can you describe how you, how you would define that? And, you know, just paraphrasing her, um, off memory. I think she said something to the effect of shame is something that like belief systems are built around. It's like part of your core identity. Um, like your identity system could be shaped by these belief systems that are, you know, related to shame. Whereas guilt is something, you know, it feels terrible, but it's, you don't build these like core beliefs around guilt, right? You right. Just, yep. just a shitty feeling. Um, sorry if you have to bleep that. Um, Cursing's fine in the podcast. <laughs> excellent. Okay, here we go then. Um, so anyway, it was like, after we had that session, it was later on that night. I had gotten home, did the whole thing with the family, got my younger kids to bed. My wife went to bed. I was, I finished watching a show at around midnight, turned the TV off and just kind of sitting there in this quiet, dark, you know, house, just thinking about that earlier conversation, shame, guilt, like, is there, is there something I feel shameful for? And it was like the memory and I hadn't blocked out, you know, the trauma of, of, having been molested and locked in the closet by the babysitter and all that. I just never really, my entire life, I never spoke to anybody about it. I didn't, I think I had just thought that was in the past. It doesn't have any relevance in my life anymore. Well, in this literally, it was like the parting of the sea, like, oh my God moment. I was like, oh my God. The Literally the trajectory of my life was 100% shaped from that experience because I had, you know, out of that as a six-year-old, I think the way that my little six-year-old brain kind of worked out some type of control over the what happened, I had blamed myself. Like that 
by doing so, it gave me power over what happened. And as a result of that, you know, a lifetime of just negative, like really profound negative self-talk, um, you know, drugs, alcohol, driving myself on things like really, you know, overworking all, all the, you know, typical things you see in people that have had trauma and stuff like that, um, and never dealt with it. <clears throat> so this revelation was like, just this, okay, that, that experience had, had a lot more profound effect on me. I mean, than I ever had realized. So going back to the original question, you know, my origin story led to, you know, being me being the serial entrepreneur, I do think there's a fair amount of me just like always wanting to build and drive and succeed is probably some justification to myself that I am worthy and capable and, um, you know, I can be successful and, and all that stuff. So, so there's me, there's my story. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack and a lot that I think not only is important for people to listen who might identify with that story too, but just the general challenges and trauma. Like, I think if we can split this up into like the entrepreneurship journey and the trauma that you experienced as a child, I think, and I'm not a doctor, so well, we're going to take this based on my own experience too. I think when we are children and there's trauma, we imagine that that might trauma be carried along through our life. But most of the time we kind of compartmentalize it and at the least expected time and kind of like pops up. And I think from what you were saying, that's exactly what happened to you where maybe for years you weren't thinking about it. And then as soon as you were talking with your coach about the divorce, that's when like it came up and it's kind of crazy sometimes how we can carry that trauma and not even realize it. And then at, at one time, at one point in time that we don't even expect that it comes up and now we we're faced with it. And, and even though it's trauma, it's kind of like embracing it to kind of work yourself out of it sort of thing. No, um, I don't know if I explained that. Well, I'm not a doctor, but like I said, I've had some experience with trauma myself. So with mindfulness, I think that's how I arrived to that conclusion that I just shared. Very similar to you. I'm very sorry that that happened to you as a kid. I, I, that part I can't, I can't even imagine. But very similar to you, my trauma has led me to be very entrepreneur and be very focused in leadership. Um, and I listening to a lot of, uh, wellness podcasts, I think there's one psychologist that says that when we experience that type of trauma, we become more of like serving others and like we find passion in serving others and entrepreneurship has that part of it. And so I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs, so maybe a significant amount find that thing, that one piece in common about serving others and how entrepreneurship can do that. And of course, it's your story, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's probably how you embraced entrepreneurship in your own life, where you can serve others while doing something that is very much like a challenge, like an adventure, but you are serving others through the products and services that you're doing. You're spot on with that. I mean, that's precisely, I, I think, you know, I've always enjoyed helping people. Um, I just didn't really, you know find myself being super comfortable in that role until, I mean, you know, what this revelation unfolded and the work that I did after that. So for example, you know, I've been, we're about to celebrate our six year anniversary at Sweet Centric and I'm not, 
like your typical CEO. I don't come from business school. I have an environmental studies degree and I, I did wedding photography for 10 years, you know, in the middle of my career. And, you know, I've been a software developer, so I don't have this like classic CEO background. Um, right. you know, certain things I still struggle with, like what the hell's a balance sheet. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I think I'm learning a lot more now, but, uh, but I just, you know, it was kind of like on the job training, like, Oh, okay. I see why the balance sheet's important for me to kind of stay on top of and, and how to look at it. But, uh, you know, something that I suffered from profoundly was imposter syndrome, which is that feeling of, you know, kind of like living a life or, you know, representing yourself to be something that in inside doesn't align with you at all. And so, you know, I thought that I had to be somebody. I thought like I had to fit into the stereotype of, of a CEO um, and just knew that I, you know, I didn't really check all the boxes like CEOs. And my, my belief system was, you know, invulnerable, like super strong, outgoing, charismatic, um, you know, just wizard type of like mind when it comes to like financials and moving through the, you know, legal hurdles and stuff like that. And not just, you know, I want to throw up just talking about those things. Like it's not <laughs> part of like I what totally gets me get excited about the world, you know? So, um, so there was this imposter syndrome and just, you know, so much negative energy and anxiety I had about trying to show to others that I was this thing that I expected. I thought that they expected me to be right. And so thank, thank God I, I kind of had my revelation when I did, because, you know, through my work with Kristen, with the mindfulness, the work on self-awareness, the work on positive self-talk, you know, I, I came to the conclusion and this is absurd that I even had this notion, but, you know, I think one of the profound things that that traumatic experience um, shaped within me is I've always been very highly empathetic. Like I really, somebody getting hurt, somebody, even if it's somebody that I, I hated or didn't like something happens to them and it like affects me. I'm like, God, that sucks for that person. Like I hate them, but I really, you know, that sucks what they're going through. Like I, I just always knew that I had kind of the sensitive side and just, you know, connect ability to connect like that on emotional level. And the, the absurd belief system that I had was for my entire life, I had thought that to be a weakness, especially, you know, I, you know, going in my career with, you know, IT software, you know, the tech world, it's very, there's, you know, borderline ego and aggression issues. In, in yes. Um, so I had to double down on, on kind of like not ever showing this kind of empathetic, sensitive side and become this really assertive person so I can make sure to get my point across and put on the projects I wanted to be on. Right. And then, you know, out of this work now with this revelation that I had, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking that, that this was a, a flaw, a character flaw, a weakness in me. It's my greatest strength. It's my freaking superpower, the ability to, to relate and have that emotional intelligence to kind of, you know, I've always felt I had a good ability to put myself in somebody else's shoes and just try to try to be the peacemaker and see the other side of things. Um, and it just dawned on me like, oh my God, in business, that skill is so fundamentally important. Example, let's say I'm working in sales. Like 
when I can kind of relate to what my customer's going through, why are they spending all this money and paying me all this money to do this thing? Like, okay, I try to put myself in their shoes. Like, I get it. Like, this is a business problem they have and they're willing to spend the money to, to rectify it, right? Or with my employees, like, you know, having to deliver bad information or having to like course correct things that they do. Um, that's an area that I have to pay special attention to for myself because my first instinct is to want to like hug them and hold their hand and just be like, it's okay. Like, we'll get through this, man. Like, sorry to have to bring the bummer news to you, but like, look, you know, the, where I have to catch myself is, I mean, there is, there is an expectation. Like, I think I'm very fair to everybody. I think part of being a good empathetic leader is to, if something isn't aligning well with me, something happening, like I got to call it out in the most direct and fair and honest way. Um, but that's, it's not a bad thing. It's not unempathetic to do that. I could deliver sometimes, you know, difficult news to people and be there for them so that how they're receiving it is at least kind of, um, you know, where, where they feel that I at least delivered like bad news in a way that was caring, you know? Um, so anyway, I don't remember the, where that question came from. <laughs> I think it was a follow-up to what I was saying, but you said so many things there that, that really resonate and are very true. Um, I think when you have your own business, it's easier to lead with, empathy. of course it's work being human is work. Like it's just, you know, that's how it is, but trying to kind of bring in empathy, bringing a level of self-awareness, work on emotional intelligence every day. I think it's easier when it is your business because we both come from, I'm in tech too, right? So we both come from that industry. And unless I'm very lucky that I work for a company where the culture is very much that and like you have autonomy over your team and you can grow and manage your team, however your management style is versus some other tech companies where like, VPs and C-level folks kind of drive that and you're forced to lead your team on whatever vision and however manner they want to. Where I am, I can lead my team. I have a team of 11. I lead them however I feel like and I do lead with a lot of empathy and self-awareness and I encourage them to do the same to understand when I have to make a difficult decision that is not personal. Sometimes I have to make a decision based on the greater good of the business and it might affect us, but maybe another times I put them first. So, um, that's on my side, right? Where I don't own the business, but I am on, in a leadership role where I can kind of bring in that empathy and that emotional intelligence. I think when it's your business, it's easier to create that culture and then hope that people understand the culture and kind of embrace it and want to be part of it. So when you have someone in the manager role, they can lead a team like that because it really just comes down from like the top, um, even though when you have the autonomy to lead the team however you want to. You were saying that you were very empathetic, I guess, throughout your life. But when yeah. you were working with your coach, were you, was your level of self-awareness and emotional intelligence like there? Or did you have to do a lot of work on that part? Because I think we can all have empathy, but the self-awareness component to it is very important for emotional intelligence. I don't think a lot of people have that because it takes a lot of practice, at least for me. Um... I've always had, I've always been empathetic, but I wasn't self-aware of some selfish things that I would be doing or some behavior things that were just from childhood that I carried onto my adult life. And this is repetition at this point. 
until I started like meditating and really just bringing in more of mindfulness into my day to day where I was like, I can't believe I used to do that. Or like I have ADHD and dyslexia. When you have ADHD, your emotions, you can't regulate them. You can as much as you want unless you're medicated. So it takes that extra strength to do that. But going back to my question, like, is that something that you worked on with your coach and did you bring in meditation into your day-to-day to to enhance that empathy and self-awareness or um, did you have it and just continue to grow it with, with those practices? I promise I have a good reason for the quick interruption. I have a few reminders for you today. If you would like to join my one-minute newsletter to obtain free resources, you can sign up by visiting maritaespada.com. You will also gain access to updates about my upcoming book, A Renegade's Journey to Stillness. I also recently launched a new project tied to my meditation work called The Clarity of Mind Project. Here you can gain access to different tools to help you in this journey of life, to gain more clarity of mind and achieve your goals. To learn more about the project, you can visit clarityofmindproject.com. All the links can be found in the description of this episode. With that said, back to the show. I think I had a level of self-awareness and I knowingly had, you know, I mean, I still think I have the same amount of empathy and emotional intelligence, but I think my self-awareness was not anywhere at all where it is today. Um, and you know, partly it's because I was, you know, kind of like living this not explicit lie, but just this living, you know, this kind of reality that, um, where I, I, I just, I wouldn't allow myself to kind of like do that self-exploration to really, you know, recognize these kind of like where a lot of this stuff and behaviors in myself came from. But anyway, like definitely my self-awareness has gone you know, much increased since my work with Kristen and she, you know, she brings in a lot of mindfulness techniques and exercises into the work that I did with her. And, you know, she would also do these breathing exercises with me and, uh, you know, this kind of nervous system, vagal, vasovagal, or no, sorry, sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous response type of, um, exercises to accentuate more of the parasympathetic with me. And all of that I think really helped me just slow things down. It really helped me to just kind of like slow things down to a point where I could be like, okay, so what do we, what do I need to work on? And really just, you know, the, the, the big takeaway for me was this negative self-talk. And so Kristen would work, um, the Tara Brock rain exercise with me, which is know that one very well. Yeah. And so we would, but if you want to explain it for the audience, because just because I know it doesn't mean that everyone knows it. So I'll probably botch it to some extent. I think the acronym for rain is recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. Okay. So we'll start with the, the recognition. That's where let's say you're, you feel like you have a lot of anxiety. You wake up one day, just, you feel anxious. The, our part is just recognizing, kind of stopping yourself. Like, oh, I'm feeling anxious right now. And kind of like naming what the emotion is. Like, I feel this right now or that. I feel anxious right now. And then the the A part, which is, I think, one of the really profound parts, A standing for allow, is like allow and accept that emotion. Like, we spend so much time fighting 
trying to trying to like fight and run away from having to deal with stuff, we never allow it in. And so by virtue of just letting these emotions in and not fighting against them, that in and of itself, I think can relieve so much anxiety that we have. And then when you get to that level, then you can kind of investigate, all right, so what's making me anxious right now? Oh, like in my wedding photography days. Oh, that's right. Today's Thursday. I have a wedding on Saturday. Um, which, you know, those were really, really long days. Very fun, but also very stress, stressful at the same time being a wedding photographer, as you can imagine. Um, so the investigation, like that's where a lot of self-awareness really comes from. It's, I mean, for me, you know, that like what I practiced, I, was, I practiced rain, that moment where I turned off the TV and I just was sitting there remembering that earlier conversation that I had with Kristen about shame and guilt, like, like I, I, I was investigating, like what right. am I shameful, yeah. right? The N part of that acronym stands for nurture. And for me, this was where I think I gained the most growth personally is, you know, like giving myself a goddamn break, you know, like, Adam, look, it's okay, man. You're, you're a wedding, you have a wedding you're shooting and you're going to create these amazing memories and these people are going to cherish these photos. Like, understandably, you're anxious right now because there is a lot of pressure. So it's okay. You're, you're doing your best. Like, just trying to get into that dialogue internally with myself, which I still, you know, struggle with quite a bit. But I think, you know, because my self-awareness is, is so much more heightened over what it was when I started this work, I can, I definitely, I catch myself like, before my mind goes into a spiral of negativity, I can kind of like, okay, wait, hold on. Stop you little monkey brain. Like, let's think of some positive right now. Cause there's definitely always going to be something good we can say about ourselves. Yeah. And that's, that's so important. And from rain, I kind of created my own. And I think we do learn from practices that others do and kind of implement things in our own life. Like I have one that's kind of like a saying when I'm feeling stressed about something, which is like mind, then it's like, be mindful, be intentional, say no when you have to and live day by day. And that that is my little saying that mm -hmm. I say to myself when I'm like super anxious. The one thing that I have to say that I'm curious if it happened to you throughout mindfulness and meditation is that it sounds so silly, but it it, it holds a lot of power. I struggled with when I was feeling anxious or nervous or extremely happy or extremely upset or enraged about something, I really struggle figuring out what that emotion was, naming that emotion, and then having some sort of informal strategy to get sort of out of it. Like when I'm anxious, it, it's it, I don't meditate. I go for a walk. But when I'm nervous, I've found out that meditation helps me more than going out for a walk. And that when I'm extremely angry about something I can't get out of my head, I write whatever it is that I'm going through to try to figure out how to get out of my head. So like these little things that I have, it's like a safe space to go to when those emotions get triggered and every emotion is different. So how do I treat it? But I struggled before meditation and mindfulness, just being able to do that, which now has helped me lead a team because whenever I'm going through something with a team member or even with my boss, I, I can name what I'm feeling and then kind of regroup and then have the conversation that I need to be having rather than before when I was leading a team and not doing any of this, 
I would stumble on my words. I couldn't put a sentence together because I was nervous or anxious or upset about something. And, and that has just been such a big game changer. And I wonder if you struggled with that and then kind of mindfulness meditation, I don't know what practice you do, but, um, or if you do it daily or whatnot, but that really was just life-changing for me. I think that's so profound how you had the self-awareness to even, you know, recognize like, oh, when I'm feeling this way, like this helps. And when I'm feeling that way, that helps. Like that's a pretty well-developed self sense of self-awareness that you were able to kind of like, you know, break it down to that level. So, you know, definitely give yourself a pat on the back and you deserve some good positive self-talk by, by just how you worked that out. But you just illustrated why it's also so important that management teams and even, you know, executive, as you said, it comes from the top, like it, there needs to be cultures built within companies that support mental health, that support emotional intelligence, because, you know, putting people in management positions um, that don't have great self-awareness or emotional intelligence never leads to good results. Nope. You're going to end up with people that are micromanaging their employees and it's never going to be a re good result. And, um, you know, just how profoundly important it is to have your management team just be given the authority to be emotionally intelligent with their team. Right. Cause I think it used to be, you know, just this kind of business culture back, you know, when I was coming up in business where it was very punitive, you know, you did something wrong and you were, you were meant to be punished for that. Yep. I remember I made a mistake early in my career. I was put into, I was working in this tech support role and um, everybody was expected to support this old legacy system that I was never even trained on, right? There was a binder given to me and uh, um, it kind of like walked you through some steps, right? And I got a phone call, you know, kind of an after hours support phone call from this casino in Vegas. Um, my company I worked for ran their point of sale system. And, uh, you know, they were telling me about this issue that they were having. And I'm like, well, that sounds like, you know, we need to reboot your server um, and it should clear everything up. It's going to, you know, bump you guys for about 15 minutes. And so I, I rebooted. I sent the reboot command to the server, which took 250 point of sale terminals in a casino on Friday night at about 11 p.m. Oof. offline, bars, restaurants, you name it, right? Well, it just so happened that I rebooted the server of a co totally different casino. Um, the names were similar. And so when I looked up what I thought was the phone number to dial into the server, it was the wrong one. And, and that was an absolute train wreck going back to work. And my bosses made out to punish me for that. Whereas now as a leader, I would probably push back on and be like, you guys didn't give me any training. Like, and what's the protocol for something like this? Like, you know, maybe there should be some better way for checks and balances where, you know, this stuff can be avoided, but you know, I don't know what punishing me is meant to do other than put fear into me. And so what you, when you were talking about your situation, like it comes from the top down and that's, this is where, you know, a lot of my mindfulness work and, and just, um, you know, just kind of reinvention of my, who I want to be as a CEO, um, and top down, I, I really try to avoid creating a fear-based organization. I'm really, I'm really careful. I mean, cause we do have to make some tough decisions sometimes. Right. And when people aren't pulling their weight, like I have to, you know, call them out on that. And I'm still going to always have to do that. That's my job as a CEO is 
That's right. Uh, but, but not in a punitive way, except, except if I've told them, you know, or kind of like coached them around something and they're continuing to repeat the behavior. I mean, sometimes you got to put somebody on a pip, um, to, to manage that out. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to go there, but, uh, you know, just having your management team given the authority to be supportive and emotionally intelligent versus propagating a fear-based organization is so critical today. Yeah. And talking about the pips, I'm, I've been through that and I, I've used a new strategy, which is I created, or I create tailored, like growth strategy plans. And they know this is like the pre stage for the PIP. So, cause I always tell them the PIP, once you're in it, human resources in it, there's more people involved. You don't want that. Let's, let's work it here at home with our, with our pod team, rather than bringing in more people. If it gets to that, it gets to that. But at least they know, like, this is the pre-stage. I have an opportunity to turn it around and no one finding out that that I was in that situation. That's fantastic empathy leadership right there. Even though you're, you know, you're having the course correct, um, you're you're direct. Like that's such so key in empathetic leadership is really direct, honest communication. And, you know, you may not get good feedback from that, but, you know, your job as an empathetic leader, an emotionally intelligent leader is to be direct and call stuff out and have great communication that, you know, if I was on the receiving end of that, I'd be like, okay, well, I know exactly, you know, what needs to be fixed. You know, I'm, I'm given the opportunity in a really kind of supportive way to, to work on it and really you know, as you just described it, a very supportive way, you know, and, uh, that's, that's so central. I, I just, you know, I struggled when I kind of was working with Kristen and I'm like, Kristen, like, I think this imposter syndrome, I think I can flush that down the toilet now because, you know, you know, just on LinkedIn, for example, I, I follow Gary V Vaynerchuk and, uh, you know, a lot of messaging around, you know, listening to your team, empathetic leadership, but, you know, for a long time, I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be an empathetic leader? It means you still have to make tough decisions and give people bad news sometimes, but it all comes down to the way that you're communicating, right? That's, that's, that's a really like strong point of empathetic. Not sugarcoating things. Like sometimes you need to say it and be transparent and and lay it down and that's it. Yeah. You can't sugarcoat. You got to call things. I mean, just like working with kids, right? You got to just call them out for behavior, like immediately when it happens. And, you know, you know, when you can kind of like get to the point of like, all right, I got to do this bad thing for this person, kind of course correct them. It's like, all right, I know it's not going to be fun for them. Just even saying something like that. It's like, you're at least taking a moment to put yourself into their shoes and how would, how would they on the, how would you on the receiving side like to receive this information? Right. So that's really important. And even with Gary V, cause I followed, I used to follow him really early on. And I think even his message has changed. Cause I used to struggle. Like he has this way of motivating people, which is like, you listen to him and you just want to go and like build a business 24 hours. Like it's kind of nuts. Like the energy that he like threw like video, it's not even like you're watching him on stage. Right. Um, he has this like crazy energy, but he has shifted his message throughout the years where it was like hustle, hustle, hustle. And I was like, that's what I struggle with because I'm a really hard worker and I always am juggling like four projects at a time. And it, but at one point I started having the panic attacks and I started feeling burned out 
And I was like, I need to be very like essential with my time and what I focus it on. Because if I get burned out, then I'm just losing time on the things that I want to be doing. And so I think he's changed his platform on that. Um, I also follow Simon Sinek, who has such a huge platform for empathy. I think a lot of companies are kind of bringing, bringing that in and bringing him in as a speaker. And he does have like a lot of, it's kind of common sense empathy sometimes like it's just for me I think that's how I feel and and I hate to use it because not you know empathy I don't think is common sense but it's just the way that he explains it sounds like a common sense um empathy strategy sort of thing so it is just wonderful to just have people on those platforms just kind of teach in this sort of informal manner like I don't think he has courses it's all like this free knowledge and I think he just makes his money from speaking but um yeah it's just two different characters and and the one thing with Gary Vee was that it's just like he shifted his message and I like that he did because I wasn't I I actually had stopped watching him and then went back to watching him because the message changed yeah and and that feeling of burnt out kind of like had gone away I mean, how excited are you though that we are living in this time where, you know, there are so many podcasts or so much content around, you know, self-improvement, you know, mental health awareness, normalizing the mental health conversation. Um, I mean, I just I I'm really thankful for the time that we're living in. And I know this is kind of weird to say, but I'm kind of thankful for the pandemic too. Obviously, wouldn't wish any anybody would have gotten sick or died from it, but uh, you know, just it was kind of a moment in time where, you know, all of us across the globe had to slow down and, you know, have this introspective experience, like where, you know, it was, it was a shared global trauma and it really catalyzed a lot of things that I think we would have gotten there. I think we would have gotten to this, where it feels normal and okay to talk about the shit that we go through and, you know, our mental health struggles. I think we would have gotten there, but I think the pandemic kind of turbocharged us getting there. And it did. So, you know, I'm really just optimistic and thankful to, you know, these younger generations, which I have so much confidence that with the millennials and the Gen Z are given so little credit, but I just am super excited about, you know, already the work that I've seen those generations, you know, doing, you know, on a progressive level to help with those areas that I'm talking about, just mental health and, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, getting rid of a lot of these old school, stupid ways of thinking. And, uh, you know, they're, they're putting in the good work, these younger generations. Yeah. And a lot of them get pushed back and, you know, I'm, I'm millennial. And so I think sometimes when I'm working with older generations, I think I feel the pushback. I feel like, but I always tell them like, we did your way for so many years and like, you know, I, I they say Albert Einstein said this, but I don't. Then some people say it's unknown. But the the definition of insanity is just doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the different results. So for many years, we tried all those like old school business sort of um, the performance reviews and then yeah. how we ran a company and being in the office and the commuting and all this other like crap. And it didn't That's really lead. Yeah, yeah, it didn't lead to anything. <laughs> You keep doing what you're doing. I tell <laughs> like, but I will tell you, I've been on the other side of that. Kind of like, you know, early on in my career of running Sweet Centric. I mean, I've had younger people work for me, millennials, um, and I, I definitely like, 
have had conversations with people, you know, where I was like, man, that person just, that's such an entitled way of thinking. And I think I, I think I was judgmental. Um, but you know, I, I, I think that the, the millennial and the Gen Z are finally calling out, like you said, a lot of these old archaic belief systems, these performance reviews, ideas, like don't bother your, I'm a Gen Xer. So don't bother yourself when, you know, us old idiot folk, like try to <laughs> act like you keep doing your thing. Cause I, I you know, how are we going to have any progress unless we kind of pass that authority to the younger generations to kind of, you know, come up with solutions to, to problems that have been around for a long time. Totally. Totally agree. Um, so I guess I wanted to, I have a couple of questions that I ask my guests. Um, but before I get to those, I wanted to, um, ask you, what do you think the future of leadership will look like? Do you think these newer generations are going to have this continuous pushback or do you think this new wave of thinking will will take over whether it is you know bringing in the remote work bringing in um, more empathy and leadership bringing in giving people a break right we used to have these 90-day plans and if you didn't make it by day 91 you were out mm -hmm. and now we're we're kind of extending those periods of like the learning and ramping and, and giving people further training and empowering them and giving them autonomy like do you think that wave will continue um or do you think we're gonna go all back to our old patterns so i get asked that question quite a bit um you know people saying like i mean is this kind of just a trend or like a fad of kind of like around this you know post-pandemic world is just um you know being a little bit more open with our teams allowing this remote model already we've seen elon musk and his you know take over with twitter try to oh yeah put out a um a memorandum that it, no more remote work across the board and already he's dialed that back so um i don't i think the future of work is going to be better like businesses are going to be managed better than they've ever been um again like i think a lot of these older belief systems like in my generation gen x i think i think we have a lot of new ideas like i'm definitely going to take credit our generation for you know, popularizing the internet and all these great technical advances. Um, but at the same time, I feel like Gen Xers are kind of that in between, like, you know, we're kind of like pretty close to millennials and we're also pretty close to our parents who are baby boomers. And so we're the ones who are kind of that intermediary. Yep. Once the baby boomers and a lot of my Gen, Gen X, you know, kind of cohorts kind of like pass on a lot of, you know, leadership and, and, you know, the power of decision-making over to millennials and Gen Z. Uh, man, I just, like I said before, I'm so excited for that future. I think you guys are going to solve a lot of problems that, you know, we just sat on or kicked the can down the road and just didn't do anything with. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, okay, I'll wrap up with the two kind of funnish questions that I always ask. All right. All right. If you could have dinner with anyone from history, who would it be and why? Oh, God. I want to say something <laughs> like that just sounds so profound, like, you know, Martin Luther King or Gandhi or something like that. And absolutely, I would love to have dinner with them. But you kind of you kind of said the word fun before. So that means, all right, I should just kind of open this up a little bit. Um, I think, you know, I'm super into music. So I'm probably going to say hanging out and having dinner with Jimi Hendrix. Nice. Yeah, for sure. Um 
Yeah. I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Right. And the last one, if you could travel back in time, what piece of advice would you give yourself at 18 years old? And that's just like, think, and just to paint that scenario more, it's like graduating high school, like the world is your oyster, or like, what am I going to do next sort of thing? Right. So are you asking kind of like, if I had a time machine, if I can myself right now, go back and like whisper some wisdom into my 18 year old self's ear. Yeah. Uh, Knowing what you know now, right? Like yeah. I that's mean, the, the best part. Just, you know, like, like go easy on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're an amazing person. You know, you're going to turn out to be a really caring and devoted father and husband and, you know, supportive of your, you know, people around you. And so give yourself a break. Um, you know, you don't need to take on the burden of what was done to you, um, you know, because Again, just kind of, you know, from my experience at six years old, you know, and thinking that I was the the reason that what happened happened and it was my fault. Like, oh my God, like I I didn't realize ever until I was 48 years old that I was actually a victim of something. And so, yeah, I would just go back and say, you know, you're stronger then you give yourself credit for and you're going to change the world. So go easy on yourself. And that is, it seems like simple advice, but it's very powerful because I don't think, I think to be honest, I think a lot of people just go through life and and never realize anything of what you just mentioned that just, you know, love yourself first, take it easy, do the work that you want to do, but don't put all this pressure on yourself and like believe in what you want to do. And and have set values. I think if we have values, then you can navigate through everything because it's like you you have some sort of integrity and something to follow through. And so I think there's a lot of people even in their 60s and 70s that still haven't just figured out that just they don't that uh, piece of advice. And I'm like, how did you go through life without this one thing? I not and I don't say it in a judging way. I should say like, how did you never hit right? that wall? Right? Yeah. Like, well, so, uh, you know. Just a lot of people just don't really care to have a heightened self of self-awareness. I mean, it's, it can be hard, you know, when you're constantly evaluating what you're doing and like, how's this going to impact this person? And, um, you know, just kind of, it's hard. And so I don't, you know, I don't expect everybody, like, I'm not going to like, oh my God, this person just goes, goes through their life and just kind of blind, like. I, I don't want to be the judgy person that puts like judgment on that. Um, I, again, kind of where the empathy comes in is where I just feel kind of sad and, you know, internally say a little like, you know, spiritual wish for them to, to, to find their way or something. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, it, it took me being, you know, almost 50 years old to finally, you know, see the, how the path of my life was um, shaped by this traumatic event at age six, but, you know, part of, you know, I think that's, that's where trauma, like if you can get to a point with your trauma where you look at an experience as being such a great educator and made us who we are today. And you're like, I do think that what happened to me is the thing that put me on the path to wanting to help people and be a servant leader and that sort of a thing. So as painful and as hard as the, you know, 48 years up to then that point of my life was, I'm grateful for it now. Like I don't, I, I wouldn't have wanted it to happen if 
I could change it, but you know, I'm, I'm, it shaped me to be who I am. And hopefully, you know, the words on this podcast that I've said, and, you know, I've done a number of these types of interviews and really that's, that's what I look as my role now is to just put my story out there. And hopefully there's people that are listening who can relate to it and, and find some, some path to healing for themselves. I couldn't have said that more beautifully myself. I really appreciate the time. And to be honest, the transparency and just sharing that story. Um, I really appreciate it just for myself and, and everyone who's listening. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Um, I'm, I'm, it feels good to model the model, this type of vulnerability as a leader, because I, not something I did intentionally, but I kind of, after the fact, it's like, you know, it's this, I had this stereotype of a CEO supposed to, you know, supposed to be invulnerable and stuff like that, but I, it's not a reality. And, you know, so I'm, I think it's, there's a lot of power in, in sharing stories and that's why I love podcasts and uh, I love the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Adam's story is one for those who believe in themselves and what they want their legacy to be in this world. If you would like to follow his work, you can find him on LinkedIn under Adam Burrow or visiting sweetcentric.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would follow, subscribe, share the podcast with a friend, and maybe even leave a rating and a review. To close, I will leave you with this quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Now go where the path may lead, Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. But for now, peace out and see you next time.